Hello, guys, and welcome to the MSC Performance Podcast. This is Season 4, Episode 10, with myself, Luke, and I am joined by our new coach, Max. Hello, Max. Hello. Nice to be here. So, similar to our last podcast, guys, where uh, we introduced Kitty, we're going to introduce Max so you get to know a little bit more about the person behind the coach. We'll talk a little bit about his background, um, his own training, what he's currently doing. Um, and then to finish up with, we're going to have a bit of a Q&A, so something for everyone, hopefully, from this episode. Um, we have five questions that we're going to be running through, uh, which we'll get to um, in a while. But first off, Max, you want to introduce yourself, tell everyone what you've been doing the last few months and uh, yeah, let them get to know you. Yeah. So hello. Um, my name is Max. Um, thrilled to be joining the MSC family. Um, I've had a very busy past few months. I've just come off traveling to Bali, which was amazing. I'm sure I'll talk about that a little bit more later. Um, but in regards to myself, I've just always been within sports performance and that kind of thing since I was about 16, just been in professional sport I've always trained um, from a very young age. Um, I then got a sports scholarship to go to Nottingham Trent Uni to study sports science um, and play rugby while I was there um, at the top university league. Um, and then I got all my PT qualifications, all that kind of stuff. And then I started getting to the SNC world once I graduated, which was in 2019. Um, and then, yeah, since that, I've played more rugby I went down to Canterbury played there for a season um and then I came back to the mighty Birmingham and then here we are today joined at the uh, Bourneville Massive yeah so now you're currently playing at Bourneville um and you also do a little bit of coaching with some other teams do you want to tell people about who you're currently working with yeah so I coach rugby at Uniard Birmingham I did that last year for the rugby team then I've done a little bit of S&C with a couple of the Bourneville lads, so the under 16, so from 12 to 16, that kind of age group. So I've been getting in and about with the S&C uh, in that. And then I want to get involved in a few more teams, hopefully, come this year. So would you say that your main passion kind of leading up to this point has been mainly like in that team environment? Yeah, I think I like to have uh, a bit of a vary because I like I like being individualised and talking to people one-on-one and then when I get into a team environment, it's quite nice talking to a group of people and yeah. actually getting into everyone and getting that kind of banter. Kind of yeah, yeah, it's a lot nice. It's a lot nicer, but then it's nice to talk to everyone one-on-one and get to be into people's yeah. technique that way. Aside from those that you've just said, I guess my next question was going to be like, what do you find is the main differences of working on a one-on-one basis with someone comparatively to working in that team? Obviously there's pros and cons to both. Do you want to, Tell us a little bit about your experience of that, like the benefit of being in that team environment versus the benefit of the one-on-one approach. When you're with a team, you've obviously got to, you can't give more, um, you, you've got to give information that's going to suit sort of everyone. The because, average. Yeah, the because average the group. You, you don't have enough time to go through everyone one-on-one. Whereas if you are individualised and you're talking to someone one-on-one, you can really get down to the technique, you can get to know them, you can see what kind of coaching they like in yeah. terms of how you talk to them. Because, some people like being screamed at, some don't, and you've got to obviously adjust based on the person. With a group, everything's generalised. You've got to give very good basic technique points, all of that, so then they're all going to pick up on that. 
one thing I find is when you work in that group environment, like you've just said, is like some people respond really well to like the higher intensity stuff mm. and pushing really hard. Other yeah. people respond to, to more volume based stuff. And you've got to go off the averages when you're doing um, the group session. So it's like the average person is going to respond to this amount of sets and yeah. this is going to work really well. And it's harder to get that individual, which is the benefit of the individual. Yeah. But I guess yeah. with the team, you get that, like you said, that atmosphere and that extra little bit of push. And you look at the research, looking at um, training in group environments or even just having a spotter and how much extra you get out of your performance so there's nothing like the videos you see online of like rugby teams or american footballers when there's like a bunch of like 20 people screaming at each other while they do a clean and it might not be the best clean in the world yeah. but it's, uh... <laughs> yeah. well, that's what i was going to say like you see videos and i've been in those kind of environments like when you train on your own and you go a one rm in something unless you're very good mentally in that in that sense of the gym like you're not always going to lift 100%. as much as you can whereas when I've been in environments, when you've got 15 of your pals that you're really close with or 20 teammates absolutely screaming at you, you're not going to drop yeah. with that bar on your back, are you? You're always going to stand up. I, I, I found myself seeing that as well. Like you come in, you, when you're hyped up for a session, it's fantastic. It's super easy. You train by yourself. If you're struggling on that day, you're a little bit tired when you're by yourself, it, it can be tough. So Yeah, yeah. I think we've all experienced those days. You, you, see, have a... you see a lot of people that struggle for motivation to actually come to a gym and they set up the home gym and they're like, this is going to motivate me because it's right in my home and then the sell the kit in six months because they lack that atmosphere. And well, I, I had that because over, over lockdown, I bought a load of kit just to keep myself going over lockdown. And it's brilliant because on a day where you can't be asked and you do want to get a session in, it's good to just go out yes. into, into your garage. But it is that like... It's good being in a garage because you do step out of your home environment, but you still know that you're at home. And if you want, you can just go, oh, let's sack this off. And then you go and watch yeah. Netflix. Whereas when you actually come to a gym environment, even if you're feeling a bit down and groggy, you're here, you're here and you, you want to do something. Else, you, there's, there's no point in you coming in. So yeah. that, is, that is that really. Decent. So then you've got the team environment in terms of the one-on-one. Like what's the main kind of clientele that you've worked with previously? I've had quite a, quite a variety, to be fair. So I've had people who are young so I've had some some young athletes some little tumblers some little athletes which is very interesting to get into um then I've had the middle ground which is just like your everyday your everyday gym goer um your everyday person who does a little bit of sport but wants to like link that sport and gym in a certain way and then I've actually had people who are uh, near enough 80 years old and trying to get into the S&C with that because strength and conditioning it's 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 actually a very broad term isn't it like yeah People often think strength and conditioning is only sport athletes, whereas yeah. it can be just getting out of a chair. It's something as simple as that. So. And I think that's one of the things that we liked when we was interviewing you for the job is the big thing that we say at MSC is that like it's we want elite facilities, like high end facilities, but that are accessible to everyone. Yeah. So yeah. at the same time, you've got someone like Jazz that's getting ready for the Commonwealth training with, like you said, some older clientele that are just looking to to stay as strong and as, as fit and as supple as they can mm. for as long as possible. And everyone's training in that same environment without an ego. And that's everything yeah. that we trying to do and I think that was one big thing that we really like that kind of SNC for everyone yeah yeah it, it is that like SNC is such a broad term like it can be people can use it for their sports and that but I think it's very good to use it in that I, I just want to be fitter generally or I want to be able to do xyz I want to be able to stand up out of a chair it, it can be such a broad term and I think it's good to reinforce that with a lot of people because the, the term strength and conditioning does get lost in translation I think yeah. a lot of the time and it just scare people as well 100%, when you're trying yeah. to convince like you said someone that's just maybe looking to lose a little bit of weight and just wants to feel a bit better when you're trying to push strength and conditioning they almost think like you're you're giving them something that's just way too advanced yeah. for what they're currently looking for yeah, yeah. but actually it's 
fundamentals is just like learning to train properly. Exactly, it's just the basic mechanics of movement, isn't it? They th- when you tell them strength and conditioning, they think, well, I don't want to be able to jump 10 feet in the air or something like that, when it's yeah, actually yeah. just being able to move weight in a good in a good way, isn't it, and efficiently. So Fantastic. So, yeah, that's, I guess, a little bit about your coaching. What about, um, actually, yeah, just got back, university. Do you want to tell us about kind of your studies? What kind of yeah. led you down to the passions that you've currently got? So I did sports science at uni, absolutely loved it. Um, yeah, did that for three years. Uh, I just got that. So I was, I was in the Worcester Academy, uh, didn't get a contract after that. So then got this, um, this degree over at Nottingham Trent. And it's all, it, it, was, it interests me just because it is quite a link between sports, rugby, gym, and they're all quite intertwined, that sports science kind of thing. And it means you can, you can branch out in a lot of different directions yeah. once you've got that degree. So I loved that for three years and it got you into loads of different environments, like in a lab doing a lot of sports science yes. and stuff and then in a gym doing that. Yeah, because when you normally take on an SSC, it normally means that you're interested in training in the gym and then it gets yeah. you into these other environments that you've not been um, yeah, part exactly. of before, like you said, the lab work and stuff. That's cool. Yeah, and just like all the, there's so many things that I actually learned that I do take into the real world now, like biomechanics of movement. We did, did a lot of stuff like in a biomechanics lab, which is in a biomechanics lab, which is just, evaluating how people move so we got like cricket players in and we looked at how they do a when they bowl how they move doing that and then you, you break down all of that and then you can start implementing certain training programs with how they move and then yes. looking at that so it's all it's all really interesting stuff like a lot of people think when you do sports science it's a bit of a bit of a cop out at uni but it's actually it's a very it's actually a lot of good science yeah. in there and it's really really interesting fantastic what did you do your uh, dissertation on uh creatine actually did you yeah. oh yeah. wicked on creatine that's yeah. cool mm-hmm. uh well obviously there's no research on creatine so i'm glad that you did that to oh yeah, the, nothing, uh, yeah. i basically <laughs> invented it what uh what, what did you do on creatine what was the study it was remember? just it was just the use and effects of it and then i just broke it all down um yeah i didn't do i didn't do any studies it was just a um what you call it uh not a meta-analysis a um i can't remember the word for it I basically just looked at loads of other studies and just put it all into one kind of thing. So just researched it all. Fantastic. Fantastic. And then with your own training now, obviously you play uh, rugby. I guess you could tell us a little bit more um, about your your rugby, how that looks in training, how it looks kind of off season. And then we can kind of start to link that into the Q&A because I Mm -hmm. think one of the questions that we got is quite relinked back to kind of what you're currently doing. Um, So personally, I've now been going a little bit more crossfit at the moment um doing all that kind of stuff i'm really into my olympic lifting at the moment so i've really been trying to break down that um especially now so now i'm in pre-season with my rugby i can really hammer a lot of sessions in whereas during the season it's actually quite hard because you train tuesday thursday play on saturday it's quite hard to work out when to train because tuesday you don't really want to be knackered for a training session thursday you don't want to be knackered for that. And then you're thinking about getting ready. For the and game. then you're in a game. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's all dependent with, with regards to my own training on a Sunday. If I've recovered quite well from the game on a Saturday, I can always maybe get a session in or like a flush or something quite light. And then Monday is always my big day. Cause that's the furthest time away from a game and the furthest away from the next game that I yeah. can get a big session in. Um, if you're slightly fatigued for that Tuesday session, like it's not the priority of the week. So exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, now it's obviously pre-season. I can, well, it's the bit before pre-season, so I can get quite a bit of training in now. So I can train a lot. I can deal with the fatigue a little bit more and actually get my body a little bit adapted, hopefully going into the season. So I might be able to still train a bit more, but because my body will be more adapted, 
And that's why you went to uh, to Bali, so you can get out of all of that course, extra yeah. training sessions. Yeah, yeah, of course. Train loads <laughs> so, in Bali. So how many yeah. times are you, uh, not during Bali, but how many times are you going to be training now per week? And kind of like, what would that week uh, weekly breakdown look like? I think I'll try and get anywhere between three and four main sessions in and then a couple like supplementary sessions if I can. But I think that's perfect for me because I don't... What does a supplementary session mean to you? Just, just in terms of... So if I've had a game, like a recovery session, yeah, more of a recovery kind of session or anything I haven't done in the three or four other sessions, just get a little bit of a top up on on those kind of movements. Perfect. Uh, And in season, two or three sessions? Exactly the same, two or three sessions. uh, Yeah. Fantastic. Um, Outside of training, well, you've obviously been to Bali. Anywhere else you've been cool or where are you looking to go next? Oof. Well, tell us about Bali, I guess. Bali was incredible. It's it's hard it's hard to talk about places I want to go in the future now because I've I feel like I've always got to top it now. Cause yeah, where do you go from there? Well, yeah, I mean, so I was there for just over two weeks and it was just it hits everything. If you want to go somewhere that hits every kind of holiday that you want, Bali is the one. You've got beaches, mm. you've got adventures. If you get bored, you've got pools, you've got chill hotels, you've got monkeys. You've got everything you want in a holiday. Really. The big free like beaches, monkeys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Beaches, monkeys, pools, yeah, yeah. rainforests. Yeah, it's, it's got the light. It was absolutely fantastic. The only problem is, as I said to you, it's just the travel. And the, the water you had. The water. Yeah, the, uh, the, the old uh, barley belly. Oh, the barley belly is quite bad, yeah. But yeah. We, all, we all deal with that, don't we? Yeah. What do you uh, What do you enjoy doing outside of the gym? Like, what, have you got any hobbies or other things that you enjoyed in your spare time? Um, I do, actually. I play... A little bit of ultimate frisbee as well. I did think because we've just put the meet the coaches and Jonah said we love to see it. And yeah, I was like, yeah. Does he know him? I do, but I don't do that as much as I used to because rugby sort of has taken over. Uh, but frisbee's primarily done in the summer, which is when I have this time off anyway. So, so that's, that's it. Yeah. If if I ever get some time off, I'll do I'll do a little bit of frisbee, something like that. Oh, um, because it does actually keep me really fit, and it's yeah, yeah, very, yeah. It's actually a hard sport when you think of frisbee. Yeah. You think of dogs, on the beach, on the beach, <laughs> all of that stuff. Yeah, but it's actually really hard. Well, uh, Jonah that I just said liked um, the post saying, "Well, we'd love to see." It. I, he put up a post the other day, and it was it was incredible actually. Like it was very very athletic. Like it was a really long. I mean, I don't know the terminology. <laughs> a long throw. He yeah. threw it quite far, and he did a very like quite like aggressive dive to it was, yeah. it was fantastic it was pretty cool to watch. It's, it's good for that stuff because when you watch things like american football if they do a catch like that it's absolutely incredible they die for it that happens every game in frisbee but people don't really know about it it's quite it's very under it's a very under underdeveloped sport it's not really out there very much not a yeah. lot of people know about it so hopefully it gets out there it's been on the brink of being into the olympics for a very long time but it's always just pushed yeah pushed behind all the other sports yeah Anything else away from sport? Um, I don't think so. No. Sit at home waiting to do more sport. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, got to love a bit of sport. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, awesome. Yeah, okay, cool. So that's a, a, a decent introduction to yourself. Um, do you want to dive into the, the Q&A? Yes. So one of the questions that was put forward was... Stop you there. The four questions we had, guys, so you can get ready to listen if you want to know, if you want to push on with it. The yeah. first question that we're going to answer is, what is a good age to start your strength training? Um, that was from someone um, that we train as part of a school, so we'll get into that in a second. Uh, we got asked how often you should change your program up, 
And then an also question, which we're going to link in with it, is how often should I deload? So we're going to put those, we're going to pair those in together. Um, in opinions on the Oli lifts for sports, they didn't be specific about the sports. We're just going to talk about team sports, which I think it was from. Uh, and then also someone in the Barbar Club this week asked us, why do we give some people the safety bar squat over the back squat? So we have uh, four, well, five questions. We're going to answer it in four parts. So... Apologize for interrupting. That's all right. Crack on with the first one. What is a good age to start your strength training? So this is quite this is quite a good topic, actually, I think. And I wanted to talk about it because it's always been a thing, hasn't it, where people say, you can't start from young, it's going to stunt your growth, all of that kind of stuff. And then there's a lot of science, there's not actually a lot of science that proves that. So I think with regards to starting training, the earlier the possible with movements in a way, don't obviously load up with ridiculous amount of weights, but if you can get into kids from a very early age and learn their movement patterns it just means as they get older then they're they're in such a good place when it comes to gym because gym is such a good way of life like it it adds years onto your life in the long run so if you can get into someone early about good movement patterns all of that when they get older they'll just be there and it'll just won't get injured as much all of that kind of stuff really there's there's two things off the bat that you've said there and the first one is everyone's saying that it stunts your growth and i think the reason for this is is when you look at high level powerlifters and high level weightlifters you're thinking these are really short people and they're short because they're well they're very good at the lifting because they're short they're not sure because they've been doing lifting all their lives so naturally as you get to the to the elite one percent i mean when i get to like worlds and stuff i'm one of the taller people in my way because the shorter people are naturally better at um at lifting so it's in the same way that all basketballers are six foot five six foot seven they're naturally the top one percent of the sport in powerlifting Mark's never going to be the best powerlifter in the world because he's six foot three. He's lanky. He's mm. never going to be at the world's. No one's going to say, oh, maybe it's not a myth because Mark yeah, is yeah. six foot three. Someone like myself thought, oh, I just don't his golf because he's five foot seven. So people look at the elite level and say, oh, it's stunted the golf. Look at all these short powerlifters. But the reason they're at the 1% is because they are short and then they naturally gravitate to that sport. Yeah. It's in the same way you look at rugby players and you say, oh, no, I don't want to play rugby. I don't want to get that big. But it's just, if you want to be at the top percentage, that's what rugby players look like in certain positions. Exactly. It's, just, it's nothing to do with stunting your growth at a young age. And I think a good, because I think I've seen a lot of clips in America and they've actually started getting gym and gym movements part of the syllabus in, in school. Because yeah. you see all those videos of them teaching good movements in yeah. schools and that, that would just be perfect here. It's yeah, it's amazing. And um, one thing, I mean, one thing I've noticed straight away is uh, we we work with a school um, once a week, and it's it's fantastic. And like you said, like I would absolutely kill for that because aside from what you just said about it, improving your quality of life, the amount of time that you realize that you're training wrong when you're 15, 16, you just rock into the gym with your friends, oh. you train like an idiot, yeah. you max out your bench press, you do some bicep curls, you go on, you don't realize how to train properly. And I look at these guys that are coming in that are like anywhere from years 11 to year uh, 16, sorry, sorry, like 11 to 16. Uh, and they're learning how to train and we get them like doing trap bars. We're getting them doing some sprints and yeah. jumps. And I'm like, this is such an amazing opportunity, but they just don't realize it. That's um, what I agree. It's like, I would, I would, I would pay so much money to go back to when I was 15 or whatever, yeah. started training and I was doing bench, bicep curls, half rep squats, the whole lot, just without knowing a thing. Whereas if, yeah. if, I, if someone got into me early, about good patterns and all of that it would save you in the long run wouldn't it injury wise you'd be better oh yeah but that's the thing you've just like people think when they get to the gym and they talk about the injury rates and that's one of the things they say about not starting strength training so early but you look at the general populations this 
the the school that come to to MSC, like the guys that are the most athletic, are like they're in shape, they're sprinting. The people that don't do any sport, I don't know if it's to trying to get out of it, but they're mm-hmm. saying, "Oh, my knee hurts. I can't train today," or "My back sore." And I'm like, "Thirteen, man. Like this is yeah. the time now to learn to move properly and learn, yeah, exactly. learn how to to use your body rather than sitting down all the time." And you see now that like younger and younger, they're, they're, they're getting these aches and pains that normally wouldn't have occurred till they're slightly older, just because the level of inactivity. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I- I agree with that. And then on top of that, obviously overall movement is very good. Like when I, I did a little bit of an SNC camp with some kids who were from 12 to 16 who were rugby players, they don't realise how much gym movements and good movements actually relate over to sport. So you show them, oh, this is actually a gym movement. And they go, oh, and I ask questions about, oh, how can this be used in the game? And you'd explain it to them and show it them. And they go, oh, actually, that really does make sense. It's good to load it this way. So there is actually a good takeover into the sports that you can get into kids from a young age it's really interesting i think when you look at the different demographics and what you're kind of pushing so when i when i'm working with a school like you've just said when i because when you work with adults a lot of it when you're pushing snc to people that don't want to train when they're like in their 20s you're talking about injury prevention and you're talking about managing like loading better you know balancing out the sport yeah and that's the big thing that you're pushing and they're on board with that when you talk to kids about it at first i was like this is great for building you know robustness tissue tolerance etc no interest whatsoever but as soon as you start saying this is an amazing movement that's going to introduce your speed your mm. pattern the, the all ears so like when i'm coaching a school it's very much you're doing this movement because it's going to directly transfer to your max effort sprint so you're going to yeah, feel yeah. faster more explosive when it's people slightly older i'm talking about obviously improving sport performance but trying to manage injuries as much as you yeah. can yeah 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 it's yeah it's quite funny, actually, yeah um yeah. Um, so what what would you say is like general good recommendations for someone that's maybe got a kid or someone younger that's looking to start training? Like where would be a good place for you, do you think, to start in terms of like how many times a week, kind of full body sessions? Oh, or... you, you don't have to go crazy at all. I think just start either one or two sessions a week, just very basic movements. Like you need nothing more than that, because if you go over the top, that's when, as we say, the injuries come kids will like their heads will go through yeah. the roof and they'll start getting a bit panicked if you just are very basic two three movements that's all you need tell them how it relates to it i think that's all that's all you need for someone who's quite young yeah in my my experience of working with them is they um like they're not so much into like they don't want to build strength they want to like they want to improve their sport they want to be powerful and i think they need a bit more variation mm-hmm. um and they the, the like things to be fun so yeah. i think whenever you put some kind of like something that makes it a bit more enjoyable rather than saying you do three sets of five if you give them like a, a bit of a challenge almost it yeah. increases their kind of enjoyment out of it and they start to get a bit more but like you said yeah. i think if they're playing a sport as well one or two sessions in the gym full body sessions doing some kind of sprinting and jumping and then some like full body low load if the other rec- recommendations like you said earlier is don't go crazy with volume don't go crazy with the intensity you don't want anything like super close to failure which is the general recommendations we have for mm-hmm. for general populations anyway yeah. Um, and, and just you, making sure there's not technique breakdown. And as you say, it's always making it fun. Like you don't have to. When we say, obviously, doing your reps and all, and your volume and all of that is very important. But when you first start out with all the movements, it's always good, I think, to put it into like a game kind of situation. So trying to come up with a game where the kids are going to get into those kind of positions, so then they're naturally yeah. in that. If you actually say to them, "This is how you properly do it." I think they start to stress out a bit, whereas Big if time. you put it into a game kind of scenario. we uh, With the school, we play uh, med ball, volleyball a lot. 
And go. every week they come in and they're like, sir, we're playing med ball volleyball. <laughs> and they don't, you give them med ball work down against the wall and it's not fun for yeah, them. Well, as soon as you're throwing a ball as hard as you can at your mate or throw it as high into the air as you can, yeah, it's this mad it. exciting game. You do exactly the same thing against the wall. They hate it. Yeah, um, it's funny. Yeah. Put it into a game. They love it. The other one I do a lot of is like, um, as soon as you start to put certain personalities against each other. So like, if you've got the big guys that are like really like into the sport and you say, right, we're doing a relay race mm. and you're doing like the prolar sprints again, prolar sprint by itself. I hate it. You're racing against your mate. They love Different. it. They Any kind of it. competitiveness. Yeah. They're all for it, aren't they? Another thing I like to eat, they love to try and, um, yeah, please the teacher. They try and like, um, get on with the teacher so if you ask them to do anything they're quickly to do it so yeah, anything yeah. like that really gets them on board yeah. so yeah keeping it fun keeping it interesting keeping good variation and, and like i said general recommendations of not going crazy volume keeping a good focus on good technique and good movement not yeah. pushing things too hard is what we would recommend so yeah, yeah there you go the sooner the better oh yeah the soon. sign off soon as they're out of the womb yeah <laughs> <laughs> there's the sign off from uh from uh from max so that's um what age is a good age to start training i guess the next one because we talked about variation is how often should we change your program up and then also how often should we deload so mm. i'm going to start with the deload one actually yeah um so first of all i think with this one a lot of people talk about oh i i have a block and it takes me four weeks until i get to my best performance and then it drops off and i think that that rigid thinking doesn't actually work i think mm. if you're doing the same program all the time you might realize these patterns that come out and saying after four or five weeks i notice that like i hit my peak performance and then the next week's pretty trash i feel pretty tired but i think there's different ways that you can approach that so if you had a four-week block and then you had a holiday in five weeks time you're not going to deal out on the fifth week and go on holiday you're going to push for an extra week and then you could still get that same result on week five that you got on week four if you just delayed how intensely you progress things over that block yeah yeah so instead of doing like an aggressive four-week block where you go from doing like in barber club we do a triple amount six six rp seven rp eight rp nine rp that's a super linear very simple progression yeah, yeah. if you want to do it over five weeks you might go six seven seven and a half eight nine it's just a simple delay in how intensely you're pushing things so in terms of how often you deload that comes down really to to i guess the length of block that you can that you want to do so if you want to make them slightly longer and you prefer doing that slow build-up you can do if you prefer an aggressive build-up and then deal more frequently you can do um i also think for a lot of people that are just general populations they shouldn't be deloading at all mm. because life will deload you anyway where yeah, you'll, you'll yeah. have a week where you can only make the gym once yeah and that yeah. will naturally be your deload you don't need to then do a deload week the week after because you've yeah. just not trained for a week yeah i think it's, it's very rare it's very rare isn't it you'll find someone who is absolutely into their training for the whole year throughout so it's always good that deloads come very naturally just because say they know that they're going to have a hard week at work or something that will naturally be more of a deload for them won't it rather than program it in it perfectly yeah and as, as you say like it becomes kind of like a placebo effect if you say that someone knows that every four weeks they're gonna plateau yeah. a little bit they'll probably start thinking they'll start mentally putting themselves in that position as, as it comes to it so i think if you can maybe get over that yeah placebo kind of effect and actually get over it you'll learn that you're probably not gonna yeah plateau as soon as you think yeah i think there are ways to to word that as well like we said about the kids like wording and and explaining that so when when people are doing four weeks and then you try and say look like especially like for powerlifting you have a competition it doesn't always line up perfectly with the four week blocks you have to change the the timeline and say look this block's going to be a fifth week block it just means we need to 
like add an introduction week or we need to have an easy week before we then go for your normal four-week block. Or we're going to do that same four-week block, but we're just going to make the jumps week on week less aggressive. And then you can line it up perfectly. But then I think it just comes down to the different personalities. Because I know yeah. people that hate lifting light. Yeah. They hate yeah. doing that. So they'd rather do the big aggressive push, deload, and then go again. And other people hate deloading. And yeah. then they want to delay that a little bit longer. Um, and then it comes from there. I guess the caveats are like certain people might find if they're pushing for that long without a deal of that little little niggly injuries come up mm. and little aches and pains. So yeah. take that into account if you find that if you're working hard for because even if you're doing less aggressive build ups, if you're doing like hard four weeks of training, it can start to to cause these general muscular aches, which aren't nothing serious, but that's where you're managing your workload. Yeah. Yeah. And that's I, when you would then deal. Yeah, and on the contrary, it's as you say, it's all about the person. So some people absolutely love training. So when they deload keep them in the gym and obviously just reduce the volume that loads but some people can use that deload like oh i actually really want this deload and they'll actually use that as their kind of like treat in a way so they'll build up to their top week yeah, yeah, yeah. and then they'll use that deload to absolutely do nothing because they've earned it i kind of think i think so i've never given anyone zero training <laughs> um but if they've got like a deload week and like you said like it's like oh fantastic they get a mental break from the yeah, gym yeah you maybe say to them like don't worry about like filling in your program yeah. try to yeah. hit like the minimum dose do it as fast as you can and get out of the gym because if you're doing like an hour and a half two hour sessions four times a week that deal like you said the chance just to get it in in an hour done get out of the gym and enjoy a bit more time out of yeah, life yeah. so and i've got other people on the flip that hate it and they want to train, mm. like you said, all the time. And then you can just change how much you actually deload. So, like, it might be like, I don't know, the squatting and deadlifting. It's, they're quite taxful exercises. You might deload that ever so slightly, but keep the accessory work, which isn't going to cause as much stress. You might keep that a little bit higher. It's all based on the individual, isn't it? Because, yeah. yeah, as you say, those are very taxing on the body. And then the other stuff, people often enjoy those if they want to get a little bit of a pump on in that kind of Some stuff bice. yeah no one ever deloads the biceps no it's weird it's, isn't it crazy we're going to deload your biceps and try what yeah just the arms we're going to keep yeah. doing squats and deadlifts we're going to use off the arms in terms of like uh when you work with teams how often are you giving people deloads or is it like how do you manage it in season we're in season it's all about sort of maintaining a kind of thing is yeah you don't often get a lot of time for a deload because you always want to keep them firing again the week yeah. after yeah you always want to keep them firing so it's always towards that back end of the season which is the best time to do it and then you're yeah. preparing them in for pre-season yeah what about like pre-season do you have like do you program easier weeks in there or do you kind of just have a bit more of a moderate build-up yeah moderate build-up kind of thing because even pre-season you you don't have too long until you're back into games yeah, sure. so it's, it's, ve- it's very it's very like what's how many weeks you get like eight weeks yeah something like that if you have eight weeks and you deload in the middle of it you've just lost one eighth of your work exactly yeah exactly you've waited all year and then you've uh <laughs> you put an eighth of it out <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah completely um okay so i guess like what we're saying there is that like you can work out on your timeline how much training you've got relative to the life and your other things of the commitments that you've got outside of the gym and you can work out how aggressive you then to build things up yeah so in the bar by club we do four week blocks similar to what we said earlier about the team environment versus the individual we have to go off the averages so i think for the average person that's training fairly hard hasn't got life that will deload them naturally isn't playing a team sport typically is around that kind of four to fifth yeah. week um and then there starts nice little aches and pains maybe a performance drop so we keep it to the full week quite aggressive build up we take a bit of a deload on on the first week and then we build back up again kind of that step method um but like we said if your general populations i think we both agree that deloading frequently is probably um, unnecessary and life will do it naturally anyway yeah, yeah by missing sessions and having life commitments where you're not training as much as you maybe would want to yeah so cool. on that note how often do you think people should be uh changing their program up 
in terms of like let's say exercises, different rep schemes, etc. I think as with regards to exercises, obviously simple is always better. But then as we said with the other question, it's all dependent on the person because if someone loses interest very quickly in a in a in a very simple program, they're not going to be coming to the gym as much. So it's always basing it a lot around the person. If they want to be as interested in the gym because they like loads of variation, you've got to probably change it up a little bit more compared to a different person. Yeah, um, I 100% agree with that because strength training by definition is quite repetitive and it's yeah, quite monotonous yeah. and it's doing the fundamentals over and over again really well and if you're into that and you like that kind of continuality you're going to be very well suited to, to, to strength training and you're going to stick it out if you really don't like that and you like that variation it's just probably not going to be for you and you can do as much as you can with that variation but very, like you said variation for the sake of variation is probably a bad thing to do but yeah, that yeah. said like if it's going to help keep you um, engaged in the gym then it's probably a good idea yeah the, the problem comes i guess is if you're if you're trying to think of some like mickey mouse exercises to give people so like right they've done, they've done squat they've done this like i've run out of exercises and all of a sudden they're standing on the red upside down <laughs> on a ball yeah yeah pressing a plate of red through the legs while standing in a handstand position Sounds and you're like, like well, it's going to take me how much right after we, yeah. we haven't got the ball that's the only oh, yeah, yeah the only stumbling block um but if you're spending four weeks trying to learn how to do that and then you do yeah. one or two weeks but then you change it again you've missed out on four weeks of training so i think it's important to change things up as needed uh from a mental perspective but you don't want to be doing it for the sake of it and you want to make sure that you're training hard rather than just learning new exercises every yeah week. yeah yeah it is about it's it's convincing people that optimally, obviously, as you say, a very stable program is or is probably the best kind of thing. But then if they're not really getting convinced by that because you know they're not going to get into the gym, that's when you start, okay, we'll try and change it up a little yes. bit more. Whereas if they are fine with that and they know that motivation wise, they will be in the gym absolutely fantastic. Yeah. So it's all it's all based on the individual and their individual needs. One thing I do quite like to do is um like I've, I've started with a couple of uh, younger people and they're very like, they do like the variation of it. So like I have the stuff that I think they absolutely should be doing. So like the, the fundamental movements that they want to get better at. And then stuff that's not like, if I'm not like they should absolutely be doing this exercise, I like to leave it open as like a movement archetype. Mm. So an example of what I think on the top of my head, um, I give him single leg of choice. Yeah. And I say, look, sometimes you can do rear fat elevated split squat, sometimes just a normal split squat sometimes dumbbell he's still doing single leg every time but yeah that just that little bit of flexibility then keeps him a bit more engaged mm. he likes his biceps he's an 18 year old lad so oh, perfect bicep of choice add a couple more sets go crazy but you need to be doing squat you need to be doing the bench press because these yeah. are the exercises you want to get better at but bicep i'm not concerned if your dumbbell hammer curl is going up every single week i'm more yeah. concerned that you're just getting a decent amount of work in yeah yeah doing it so i suppose he chooses bulgarians very much does he I have no idea. I've, I've literally <laughs> never asked. Maybe he's <laughs> subbing um, the single leg. It's a single leg of choice. He's doing single legged bicep curls. Yeah, that is true, actually. Yeah. That could be an option. So, yeah, but I like, I know, I know other people that, that, that hate the change and people that like that kind of rigid structure that mm-hmm. hate the change in exercises. Yeah, yeah. And they get nervous about trying to learn a new exercise. So, on the flip to them, you would change absolutely nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then I think, like, with the with the rep schemes and stuff, it's it's a it's a diminished returns. I think every time you're doing the same rep scheme, every time you're getting a little less from it. And that's where the variation will come. So you're realistically always going to be doing some kind of squat, some kind of deadlift or hinge pattern, some kind of pressing pattern. Um, but then you can change up that rep scheme just to, to yeah. add a little bit of novelty in there. Yeah, exactly. It's, it, and with with regards to S and C, it's quite good with that because you're if you are in a team environment and you're relating your S and C movements to a sport 
you probably can be a bit more varied because yeah. overall you only want to push, you only want to pull, you only want to use your legs kind of a thing when you only want to hinge. So it's, you can vary it a little bit more because you're not as fussed about the weights going up yeah. too much. You're not you're like, oh, this guy needs to be squatting an extra 20% to get better exactly. in rugby. You think he needs to be strong in his legs. Yeah. So let's give him a bit more. Yeah, exactly. Fantastic. So I think we're, uh, yeah, some good uh, things to take away from there is don't change for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you get the diminished returns from the rep scheme. So maybe just the rep schemes every end of a block. So every like four to six weeks, um, but just don't do it for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if you yeah. don't specifically need to do an exercise, you can add the variation in there because that's going to help you stay more engaged in the session. So as much or as little as needed for you to keep motivated within the gym yeah. would be a uh, recommendation. Fantastic. Um, Right, next one then is opinion on the Olympic lifts for sports. Okay, brilliant. Bit of me, this. So with, with, with regards to Olympic lifting, I think people often think that, oh, I need to be doing cleans and so, because it's so, it's the best thing for power with regards to sport. But there's a couple of factors that come into it on whether you actually should be doing it in sports. So obviously they are a brilliant tool with regards to getting his triple extension, very powerful. So it replicates into sports where you're sprinting, jumping, getting through a tackling rugby, something like that. But it all comes to one, it's a very skillful movement. So it's yeah. whether you've got time to actually learn it. Cause if you're spending, as you say, four or five weeks, even learning it, you've missed out on four or five weeks of actually generating a lot of power by yeah. doing something else. So that's number one. And number two, there is actually a lot of other movements that are probably just going to be better. So in terms of skill wise, Anytime you're going to do like a med ball slam or a throw or something like that, you're still doing the same thing by generating a lot of power through that. But skill-wise, you don't actually have to think about as much when you do a clean. So they're the kind of factors that come into it. Like if someone's got time to learn it or if they can already do it, absolutely brilliant. You can load it up and you can get through that triple extension. But if not, you stick to simpler movements because all you want to do is generate a lot of power so it can replicate then onto the pitch. Would you, so let's say someone can do the ollie lift, they're quite like, quite skilled with it mm-hmm. would you just do like a full clean obviously would you go for a power clean would you go for just a high pull so you're getting that extension without the catch it's all as you say it's all based on their skill level so i'd always i'd probably never get into a full clean i'd always go power stuff because that's where you're going to generate that amount yeah. of power because some people's technique might mean they can get under the bar a little bit better and it's less power more how quickly you can get into the it's bar more the skill of lifting rather than exactly generating yeah whereas if they can catch it very nicely but can't get under it well, power clean, definitely. But if they're not as confident in that catch, because mobility-wise, especially in rugby, some people can't get their elbows pressed there. No, right no, there. No. Yeah, so yeah. it might just be a high pull because they're still going through that main part of the movement, Yeah, but they don't have to worry about their flexibility when they're getting their elbows through the... Uh, through the bar kind of thing. Yeah. I think that pretty much hits the, the nail on the head. What mm-hmm. would you say would be like a, a good alternative for someone that, that can't quite do a power clean? I think any kind of jump, because... I always say when I teach Olympic lifting, that part where you're actually making contact with your hips and you're getting the bar moving vertically and you're going into this triple extension, it's basically just a jump, really. Yeah. So anytime you're doing a box jump or weighted box jump or anything like that, it's probably the best way to simulate that. And then you get your power stuff in, in loads of other ways, as I yeah. say, with med ball slams, that yeah. kind of stuff. I really like like a, like a trap bar jump because people yeah. still yeah. want to get that weight through. So like while exactly. I'm doing like a goblet squat, it can be nicer to uh, yeah trap bar jump. But anything like I said, that's getting that extension pattern with a bit of load on it. Is going to be a good alternative. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, yeah, all right, fantastic. I think that was nice and quick. Anything else to add? Or are you happy? More than happy. Fantastic. The last one then is uh, why do we give some people the safety bar squat or the back squat? So I guess they're asking, what are the advantages of the safety bar for the back squat? Why do we give certain people it? Um, do you want to kick it off? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's based on if someone needs to learn something 
the pattern obviously from scratch getting a bar on your back it's not it's not the way to go you want to simplify everything so they can get through the good movement patterns of the squat squat obviously going through your midfoot and all of that so when you're actually going through a safety bar squat or a goblet squat or something like that you're actually getting that weight through the right part of your body and you're getting your obviously your elbows under the bar all that kind of stuff and then it will then slowly replicate into getting that bar on your back so it's always starting simple so they can get the movement right and then once their patterns are good, you can obviously start progressing into that normal back squat. So it's all based on the individual and their skill level at that point, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, even if like you can do a, a good back squat, a safety bar is a great um, alternative or a great option for mm-hmm. your lower body training. Um, so like you said, it's for some people that put a bar on the back and they're just hitting a really good position straight yeah. away. For a lot of people, like Max said about the midfoot, they're struggling to stay in their midfoot. They're struggling. The main thing, I think, is uh, keeping that stacked position. Mm-hmm. As soon as you put a bar on the back, they're finding themselves super extended, like this chest high, anterior tilt, so the lower back's really arched. Um, and then trying to do a squat and they're getting into like bad positions with the pelvis and the finding that they're getting back pain with the safety bar because the hands are forward it's a little bit easier to get that position stacked with the ribs over the pelvis which we know is the best position to be in and doing that at the same time getting over the midfoot you're ready to go then and you're ready to start your squat it's a lot easier to maintain that position yeah and i think it's always as we say um reinforcing back to the like teaching people from a young age it's always you need to get the movement patterns in first it's always a lot of people go into the gym and they think right i need to get a bar on my back i need to get weight on i need to start going heavy when that's not the best thing to do at all if you can learn the movement well first and then you've mastered that and then you can slowly add weight on you're going to get so much more benefit out of that and your body will thank you so much more in the long long run if you've done it that way rather than chucking weight on your back and then just going diving straight into the deep end if you can break it all down from the start and be patient with it and not think that you've got to rush through everything. Yeah. You're going to get, you're going to get so much more, like more out of it. Big time. And like you said earlier, you don't have to do, like you said in the, in the, the rugby in season, you're not specifically concerned about someone getting really good at squatting. If you don't want to be the best squat in the world, if you don't want to powerlift, the SSB could be a better exercise because you're a little bit more upright, a little mm-hmm. bit more knee flexion. Um, you can bias the position with the handles to find something that's comfortable for yourself, easy to get stacked. And when you're looking for like the squat knee dominant pattern, most people are going to achieve a better position with the SSB and be a bit more upright compared to the back squat, which can be a little bit hinger, yeah. which then puts a little bit more loading through the lower back. So if you're trying to distinguish between these movements of squatty squats, which we like to say, which is upright squats, lots of knee flexion, the SSB is going to be easy to achieve that position. Um, in the same way that like we like an RDL over a normal deadlift for people yeah. to get that full range through the hips. We like a trap bar. Um, you don't have to be doing these specific exercises. And for some people, they want to get better at back squat. Um, but the fundamentals are a lot easier to get dialed in with the uh, the SSB. Yeah, yeah. Do you like it for yourself? Obviously, you can back squat. Do you like the SSB? Um, I've used it a little bit. I always just prefer using a, a bar. Like I do. Obviously, you like a front like, squat, didn't you? Yeah, I do like. I'm yeah. Um, I do like a good front squat just because it replicates my Olympic lifts because that's yes. the position that I'm most comfortable in. Um, I haven't actually really back squatted. I have because I've been injured recently, but before that, I was mainly doing just front squats just because I only really get into that position with my Olympic lift. It's always good to load up on your back squat because you're naturally a little bit heavier, so you can yeah. get more load on. But I just like getting comfortable in that position because a lot of things that people ask me is that, how do you get comfortable being in that front rack position? And so it's just, do it, it's do just, it. do it, do lots of it. <laughs> it's just, re- it's just repetition, it's just getting comfortable in yes. being, being uncomfortable kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I, I do like a good front squat. Um, over a back squat, actually. Yes. So. 
let's uh, uh, agree to disagree. Uh, what would be um, if you were, like you said, about this like natural progression over a time of exercises? What do you think is like a, a good progressive system for learning a, a squat? If you've never squatted before if you've never squatted before well as you say it's always good to get the pattern right so start with no weight just get through the pattern then go into maybe a little bit of a goblet squat yeah to get get kettlebell on you um then as you say go into a safety bar squat kind of thing because then you're getting through the good patterns as well um but without worrying about that bar being on your back and then yeah. you can slowly progress into getting that bar on your back i think that's yeah. a good natural yeah natural i agree i probably took the belt squat in there as well yeah but obviously yeah. not everyone's got a belt squat yeah. but when you're going from a, a goblet to an SSB, like the belt squat's a great way to just get your legs ready to actually handle some load. Because the, yeah. the jump from the 16 kilo kettlebell to the 50 kilo SSB or whatever you're doing uh, can be quite big. But adding a belt squat in the middle, I think that's just a good progressive system. Yeah, of course, if you've got that, definitely. And yeah. then when, once you're there, like you've said, there's these exercises that are better suited to certain things. So I think for a back squat, even if you can back squat really well, when you're doing it for high reps, you're just going to be more prone to technique breakdown. And before you know it again, even if you're getting well braced and stacked, before you know it, you're back in that extended position after doing a few reps yeah if you want to do high rep stuff maybe you'd be better off doing um, a safety bar squat or a belt squat which is probably better for hypertrophy yeah um, and using the back squat for like your lower rep sets where there's going to be less prone for technique breakdown yeah 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 completely agree so completely agree. fantastic um yeah guys i think that's uh that's our q a done brilliant so hopefully you've all had something to take away from then you've got some good points and have learned a thing or two if not about exercise science at least about max oh yeah and uh max you'll be working tomorrow for the metcon and then moving forward yes full time yeah yeah full time from now so fantastic guys so yeah if you see me in the gym please go and say hello introduce yourself and make you feel welcome a part of the msc family and until next time we will speak to you all soon yeah see you later guys